Amen. Let's stand. Put some energy into your body. Mm-hmm. Oh. Hallelujah. We're going to pray tonight. Prayer changes things. And sometimes we want things to change, but we don't pray. But prayer changes things. And we want to go before the Lord tonight and pray and ask him for his will to be done. I don't know about you. I don't know if it's because I have ADD, but I just feel like um, I expect more. I desire more. I know God has more in the things of the kingdom of God. And I can't be complacent. I can't just be comfortable and and, and just where we are in Christ, I'm always looking to God to say, God, what's more? What do you have next? What's in store? What do you have for us that we are not doing what we need to do to obtain what you have for us? And so I want you to pray tonight with me. Pray tonight with me that we can receive more from God, that something will transpire in our prayer tonight and in hearing the word of God, that something will will just take place in our spirit, in our heart, because I'm not satisfied. I don't know if you're satisfied, but I'm not satisfied with where I am. I'm not satisfied in the things that God have in store for us. And so I just want more of what God has in store. And so whatever it takes to have the more. Uh, I just know when we're just holding on sooner or later, our hands are going to get tired and we're going to let go. The best way to make this journey and complete it is to always go forward. Always be going forward. Never get to a place where you're just holding on. How you doing? I'm just holding on. I don't want to just hold on. You hold on to something long enough and see what happens. Mm -hmm. I just don't want to hold on. I want to be marching forward in this. So let's pray tonight for each other. Pray for our church family. Pray for yourself. Pray that God will help us tonight in whatever he has in store for us. Let's pray. Father, in your precious name of Jesus Christ, Lord, we humbly come before your throne tonight because we come in reverence and in awe, knowing who you are, that you're the true and living God, that you are the only wise God. And oh, my God, we come tonight knowing that whatever the need is, you've got it. And so, Lord, we want to come before you with nothing hindering our connection with you, nothing hindering, oh God, our communication with you. And so to, today, Lord God, we confess our sins, Lord God, every sin we've committed against you, we confess them in the name of Jesus Christ. And Lord God, we ask that you'll forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. Lord, we turn tonight from our ways of unrighteousness. We turn tonight from our ways of ungodliness. We turn from them, Lord, and we turn towards you, Lord God. For we want your will to be done in our life. We want your kingdom to come. We want your kingdom to be manifested. And tonight, Lord God, we humbly surrender to you. Tonight, Lord God, we plead the blood of Jesus Christ over our life, Lord God. We want nothing, Lord Jesus, to hinder our communication with you tonight. And so we ask, Lord God, that you'll forgive us of our debts, Lord God. Forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those that trespass against us. Father, we voice tonight, Lord God, to you that we're not satisfied with where we are. We're thankful for where we are, but we're not satisfied. And Lord, we're asking you to show us what it is, Lord God, that we're missing. What it is that we are supposed to do that we're not doing. What it is that we're doing that we're not supposed to do. Whatever it is, Lord God, that prevents us, that is a stumbling block to us, Lord, from hindering your will being done in our life. We ask in the name of Jesus that you will show us. We ask in the name of Jesus that you will instruct us. We ask in the name of Jesus that you will help us. For God, we don't want tonight to just be another Thursday night. We don't want tonight, Lord God, to just be another night where we obtain information, where we hear, and oh God, our knowledge in you and your word grow. But nothing happens in our soul. Nothing happens in our spirit. 
And so God, tonight we're asking for something to transpire, for something to move in our soul that comes from you. Oh God, we want the power of God to overflow in our life and to consume us and to overshadow us. We want change to take place in our heart. We want change to take place in our mind. We want change to take place in us, Lord God. For we know without changes taking place in us, there will be no change in our relationship with you. There will be no change in our relationship with others. So God, we ask you to do a work in us tonight. Do a work in us individually. Do a work in us collectively. Do a work in this church, Lord God. One and all, Lord God. Will you do a work in us, Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ. For God, we want more of you. We want all that you have in store for us. We want to walk in the path that you have prepared for us. We want to do the things that you have called us to do. And so God, we tell you tonight, we're not satisfied. And if God, you will speak a word tonight, we will be satisfied with the word from heaven, with the word of instruction, with a rainbow word, Lord God. Will you speak to us? Will you instruct us? Will you, oh God, give us what we need to go on, to move to the new, our next dimension in you. Father, have your way tonight. Reveal the mysteries of the scriptures, Lord God. Let there be revelation and illumination, Lord God. Speak to us, oh great God. We need you, Lord Jesus. We need you, great King. Oh God, help us tonight in the name of Jesus Christ. Bless this time of us being together, Lord. Oh God, help us with every single relationship that we have in our life. We want better relationships. We want better relationships. We want better relationship with you. We want better relationship with our loved ones. We want better relationship, Lord God, with our friends. We want better relationship with our co-workers. We want better relationship with our neighbors. Oh God, we want better relationship in every area of our life. And so we call upon your name tonight. The powerful name of Jesus. The miraculous name of Jesus. Will you help us, God, and instruct this Lord, how we will obtain the relationship that are pleasing unto you, the relationship that are godly, the relationship that are righteous, Lord. We will speak to us tonight, Lord, but we want to be strong in the kingdom. We want to be powerful, oh God, in the earth. And so we ask you tonight, Lord, to help us in our relationships. Help us, Lord God, in our relationships. Will you bless us tonight and instruct us tonight that your perfect will may be done. We love you, Jesus, and we thank you for all that you're doing, for all that you will do in this place, in our heart, and in this church. We thank you, and we honor you and praise you, and all these things we ask in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah in the name of Jesus. Amen. Somebody clap their hands unto the Lord and just give the Lord thanks tonight. Amen. You may be seated. Tonight we're on lesson, I believe, 2.4 in discipleship. Lesson 2.4. I've got some ground to cover tonight, and I want to move right along. But I believe our, our lesson is is very important, and um, it can help us in our walk with God. Some questions in our life can be answered by what we will learn tonight if we will really ponder what God is saying to us through this lesson. So I want to draw your attention tonight to James chapter 5 verse 16 and Matthew 22 37 through 40. Tonight we're going to focus on relational healing. Relational healing. Uh, for the past few weeks we've been talking about healing. About three weeks ago we talked about physical healing we talked about spiritual healing, and we talked about emotional healing. Now, tonight we will talk about relational healing. Relational healing. The, the God says in his word, I am the Lord that healeth thee. And so, 
You know, oftentimes we go around sick, we go around needing healing, and because God has made us the way he has made us, we just push through uh, the things that are wrong with us and, and just keep on doing the things that we know we're supposed to do. But God's desire is not for us to function in a sickly way. It's, it's not for, he didn't design us that we will just continue to be sick and, and to need healing, but don't be healed and just continue to just do what we do. God wants us to be healthy in every aspect of our life. He wants us to be healthy spiritually. He wants us to be healthy emotionally. He wants us to be healthy physically. He wants us to be healthy in all of our relationships. And so tonight we're going to talk about healthy relationships because that's what God desire is for every one of us. Because God is a healer, we can experience relational healing. So James chapter 5 verse 16 says this, confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avail it much. Matthew 22 verse 37 through 40 says, Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. We were made for relationships. We were made for relationships. This is the way we were designed by God. It is important for us to seek relational healing if there has been a breach or brokenness in any of our relationships. Because relationships are a vital part of our daily lives. We can't get around it. We're always going to be functioning in relationships. So we can't get away from it. We, we must understand that relationships are a part of who we are and we can't get away from it. Understand this. When God created us, the Bible said he created us in his image. And so if God is relational, then we are re- relational. God created us like him and God is a relational God. So it means we are a relational people. So God created us to be like him and he is relational. Now, how you know that God created us to be relational? Look at what some of the uh, scripture will tell us. The Bible calls us children of God. The Bible calls us sons of God. The Bible also calls us friends of God. In all three of those instances, it's a relational term. Right. You you can't be a son without having a relationship with a father. You can't be a, a, a friend without having a friend. You can't be a child if there's not a father. And so God has give, given us these terms so we understand we are relational beings. God created us to be in relationship with him. We sometimes make this Christian walk as as difficult and 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 I don't know just it we make it more more consuming than it really needs to be. And so in our Christian walk, what is this Christianity is all about? What, what why did God create us? And the only reason why we're here is because God desire to have relationship. We make this more complicated than it is. You're here because God wanted relationship. So God always existed by himself. And he says, well, I want relationship because what good is love if there's nobody to love? The Bible says God is love. So what good is God being in existence when there's no one for God to share and and have a relationship with? So God had to create beings like himself because it's hard to have a relationship with something that's just totally different from you. Real relationship. Not talking about you and your dog, you and your cat. That's that's a relationship, but it's, it's not the same like you and another human being. 
And so remember what we say, the only thing that will live forever is God and his creation, people. Those are the only things that will live forever, you and God. Everything else will be gone at some point in time. The Bible says heaven and earth shall pass away. So it means everything that we know will one day don't exist. So only you who came from God, because no matter how much your flesh die, who you are is with inside your flesh, right? It's, it's in your body. So your soul is inside of you, this physical house. And so that's who you are. Your soul will never die. You will live on forever. And God lives forever. So we were created like him and we were created to have relationship. If we struggle with relationship, we need to put everything aside and work on that. Forget about all the things that you're trying to be good at. If relationship is the thing that you struggle with, put everything else aside. Because all of it is meaningless if you don't get relationship right. Because without relationship, we don't go to heaven. We exist to have relationships. So a lot of times, you know, we try to work on other things. Well, I need to get better in this and that. Well, if relationship is not at the forefront, forget about the other stuff. Make sure relationship is at the forefront in the things you work on to be great at. We must be great in relationships. Somebody say amen. Why do you think God made us relational beings? Why do you think God made us relational beings? Because he's a relational God. When it comes to our connection with others, the truth is how we relate to God determines the quality of all other relationships in our life. I could have wrote this lesson. Put a whole lot of stuff in this lesson. Because I've always felt that way. Because the Bible teaches that. So if you're struggling with relationship with others, you always hear me say this. I don't have a whole lot to say to you. Why do you think I'm not saying anything to you? Because you're struggling with your relationship with God. And I don't have to tell you that. Because people get offended really easy when you say stuff. So the bottom line is, if you're struggling with others, I know what the issue is. It's not the people. You're struggling with your relationship in God. I don't care how many times you have fasted that week. I don't care how much you have prayed that week. I don't care how many times you went to church that week. I don't care how many scriptures you read that. If you're struggling with people, it means you're struggling in your relationship with God. Uh-huh. Because here's how it goes. This is something I've always said. I can't say I love you and don't like your voice. I can't say I love you and treat your boys wrong. So every one of you, their parents that I love, I love your children. That's automatic. You can cash that check. And if it's any other way, then I'm, I don't love you. Because your children are a part of you. Well, we're a part of God. And we can't say we have a good relationship with God and treat his children wrong. Treat his children bad. Got it now? So it's important to really understand that if we're going to have good relationship with people, it only works if we have a, a good relationship with God. Whether strong and healthy or weak and dysfunctional, we determine the quality of relationships with the people God places in our path. Even though our relationships come with challenges and difficulties, we can have success in those relationships because God cares about the connection in our lives. Thank you for that. Amen, mother. How important is it that we have good relationships? Matthew 22 that I read earlier, Jesus recited the first and great commandment, which is the love God with, which is the first and foremost commandment. So that's already a relationship. Loving God, what it takes to love God, that's a relationship already. Right? So our relationship must go like this first. Then he continued his discourse by declaring the second greatest commandment, which is to love others as we love ourselves, is the next thing that we must do. So God prioritized. We must love God first, and then we must love others like we love ourselves. Can I show you a text tonight? 
that will help us understand something about relationship. Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. How we prioritize our relationship with God in our personal living will impact how we treat others. In the same way, relational healing begins when we invite God to dwell in the midst of our relationship with others. That's key. Look at Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. We got that? That's clear? Anything you don't understand about that? Okay. Matthew chapter 18 verse 19 says this. Again I say unto you, that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. Here is the big verse. Verse 20. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Now you've heard me said before that we've used that scripture out of context so often. Well, it's only a couple of us here tonight in church, but the Bible says whether two or three are gathering my name, there I am in the midst of them. We say that a lot. I hear that all the time. Well, that's not accurate because that's not what this text is talking about. Listen, God is in you if you have God's spirit. So wherever you go, God is with you. God is so big that everything consists in God. There is nothing that's outside of God. So no matter where you go, God is present. So why do we think it takes two or three of us together for God to be present? No, he's already there. So what this scripture is telling us or try to tell us, go back up to where it says. In verse Let's go with verse 15. No, no, let's go with verse 16 and 18. But if he will not hear thee, then take two or three more witnesses and go to him. And the scripture says in 16, if he will not hear thee, take with thee three or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. So what that's saying is, this is, this is it playing out. So, Brother Tom, I have a problem with him. And I go to Brother Tom, and I say, Brother Tom, here's an issue. And I point it out, and Brother Tom get agitated, frustrated with me. And I try to talk to him, and he doesn't want to hear it. Then I'm supposed to take another person or another person and go back to Brother Tom and explain to Brother Tom. Now, this, not, this doesn't need to be done maliciously because if you do it maliciously and not do it out of love, you're going to chase Brother Tom away. He's going to get so upset that he's going to say, you're ganging up on me. But if you go with two people, two or three people with love and says, Brother Tom, these people are only here because I want our relationship to be right. They're not here to try to make you feel bad. I just want to make sure I'm not doing something wrong. So, Brother Tom, here's the issue that I had, and we go through it. The Bible is trying to point us out that when that union comes together, me trying to get it right with the two brothers and talk, that's where God begins to work. Because we're following God's authority. We're following God's teaching, and that's where God is going to back up. His teaching. So that's the presence that the Bible is trying to tell us. God will back up what we're doing because we're doing his word, what his word says. That's what it means. It doesn't mean, oh, God is in our midst because God is in our midst. God is always in our midst. Everything encompasses in God. He can, he, he, everything is in him. Everything is in God. Nothing exists without God. The scriptures refer 
these scriptures are for, 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 for mending relationships and not for acknowledging God's presence in our midst. Any questions there? So it's already been established in this lesson that we are created for relationships, right? That we are, that, that relationships are a fundamental to biblical teachings. We determine how, not if, we will have relationships. So you're going to have relationships. The question is, how will those relationships that you have are? Not will you. You can't exist without having relationships. You were born into a family. So automatically you have to have relationships. You were born into a family. Right? So by being born into a family, at the very least, even if you never get out of your house, you have to have relationships in your house. So we can't get away from relationships. We have to have relationships. Those relationships that we have by starting out, they kind of shape who we are. And you know, uh, counselors, psychiatrists, that's one of the first things that they they try to pull out of you when they're trying to figure out what to do in counseling is what kind of family you were born in because your family shape how you deal with things. Now, I will say this. Yes, our family shape how we deal with things. Yes, our family uh, kind of, uh, I, I guess you'll say, have a great influence on who we are. But remember, the Bible says that you must be born again. That's why anyone that says I was born this way, I can say to them, I understand, even though I can argue, but I'm not going to get into it. I'm, I'll say I understand. The Bible says Jesus says you must be born again. There's a reason why he used that word. Isn't God ahead of the curve? He, did, 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 how did he know in this day and age people was going to start saying they were born a certain way? <laughs> I'm just, I'm just saying, man. How did he know that? That people were going to say, I was born this way. And so he had to answer for them way back, way back, say, well, we all got to be born again. So it doesn't matter how we were born, Josiah. We all got to be born spiritually. So it doesn't matter what you will complain about to your family says, and tell it, well, you don't understand the, the, the life that I had to go through as a kid. Well, you don't understand my father treated me like this. Well, you don't understand my mom was just evil. Well, you don't, we can say all of that stuff. Jesus says, but you just need to be born again. Because what he's telling you is, I got you. And so all the stuff that you've gone through, I will make things brand new in your life. But if you want to just keep on crying about what went on in your life and why you're the way you are, then Jesus is letting us know, I can't help you if that's all you're going to do. But if you become born again and begin to follow my words, then you will see, you will get past all those things. Our lives are impacted by the quality of relationships with which we have been surrounded. And so that's why we become who we are. But if we are born again... And follow the word of God, we'll be fine. Are there any relationships in your life that needs healing? Mm. For us to experience relational healing in our bruised and broken relationships, we must understand what a healthy relationship is and what it is not. That is so important. Because how you were raised and what you experienced or what you saw over at your neighbor's house, it kind of shapes what you think a good relationship is. When two people are going to get married, one of the things I like to talk to them about in counseling is tell me what your idea is of a great marriage. And I kind of want them to be in separate rooms when I ask that question. That's good question. That's good counseling. So if I ask you, what is your idea of a great relationship in a separate room? And you told me, okay, all right, good. Stay right there. I'll be right back. And I go over here and ask this person, then I'll bring them together. And then I'll let them say it. And when they hear how different it is, I'm going to sit there and say, 
You see how different this is? If you all get married and live like that, you're asking for a whole lot of trouble. So now that you can see that you both had two separate ideas of what is, what are we going to do? And that's where we go. That's what helps us to go forward. Because now we know how, uh, where we are with our situation. And now we know we got to probably, uh, mend or bridge the gap in how we will cultivate those relationships. So it's important to understand that. Uh, so we all have our definition. We all have our own ways of thinking of what good relationship should be and what a good relationship is. But I'm here to tell you, you need to look in the Bible. You need to check with the word of God to know what God is saying to us. That is a great relationship. Okay. What is a proper relationship? Only God can tell us what right relationship is. And before you leave tonight, I will tell you how you know if your relationship is healthy. You'll see it. You'll see how you know if your relationship is healthy before you leave here tonight. Mm. All right. We should look to God's word, which gives us clear instructions for what healthy relationships should look like. So it's in God's word that we will see what a healthy relationship should look like. And so we will look at that tonight before we go. Healthy relationships, listen to this, this is important. Healthy relationships edify both you and God. Healthy relationships edify you and God. If you're in a relationship and you're not being edified and God is not being edified, that relationship is not healthy. That's very important to understand. So if you're in a relationship and you feel like nothing is, is, is happening and every time you engage with this individual that, that you don't feel like it's edifying God, you feel like it's a strain, you feel like it's a struggle, there is, there is no liberty in it, then it means that it's not a healthy relationship. You had a question, Pascal? Oh. Build up, encourage, a blessing. You know, that's probably not the best word, but just to be on our level, it's a good situation. It it makes you better. It makes you better, right? So the relationship needs to make you better. It needs to make things better in your life, right? So if you're in a relationship and it's just dragging your life down, if you're in a relationship and it's always just, you know, negative, if you're in a relationship and it's just not profitable, it's not producing good things, then that's not a healthy relationship, right? And so, and, 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 and if, if the relationship is not, is not doing those things, then it means that God is not being glorified in that relationship. So we need to look at that. So healthy relationship is going to edify you and God. Listen, to edify, I'll give you what this says. To edify means to build up or to improve. So if you're thinking about edification, we're talking about building up, improve, make things better. This does not mean every relationship should only be focused on the positive, never having to deal with negative side of reality. So you might be in a relationship right now and you said, this is dragging me down. It's not working. That's fine. It just means it's not healthy. God is not telling you run away and just forget it. He's just saying it's not healthy. And just like when you're sick in your body, you need healing. Just like we talk about spiritual ailments, you need spiritual healing. So it's not that, okay, this is not good, so let me just do away with it. Because remember what we say, we can't live without relationships. It's going to happen. So God wants the relationship to be healed, healthy. So you might be in a relationship that's not edifying you and not edifying God. It's okay. The question is, how will you help to get that relationship healthy that you will be edified and God will be edified? That's what the relationship is about. So just for a moment, we need to stop and think, which relationship in my life that's not edifying God and not edifying me? Mm Mm-hmm. 
You know, sometimes people accuse us of talking about God too much. I think the only time people say that is because they just want to talk about whatever they want to talk about. And they probably don't realize you're talking about God a whole lot because you're trying to keep the relationship in the right place. If I start talking about something else, it's going to take me down the wrong path. So, so I'm not trying to be super spiritual by saying God all the time. I'm just trying to make sure the relationship don't go in a bad place and become an unhealthy relationship. So when they say, you always talking about God. Okay, I understand. I'm just trying to have a healthy relationship, which is a relationship that will edify you. And a relationship that will edify God. So if I'm having a relationship with you and I'm always talking about God, you're being edified. Whether you like it or not, you are. you always talking about God. But you don't, I don't say this, you don't understand. Every time I say something, you know, life and death is in the power of the tongue. So every time I say something really positive in the things of God, I'm edifying you. And you don't even realize it. You want to be mad. Uh-huh. But you're trying to establish a healthy relationship. All right. Um, describe some relationships in your past that were unhealthy and how did you heal from those relationships? Oh boy. Everybody has some jokes today, huh? When you start thinking about that, huh? <laughs> All right. When repairing broken relationships, it is important to understand the difference between having compassion and enabling others. <laughs> Throughout the gospel, Jesus often recorded as having compassion on the weak and those in need. He understood where they were coming from. He hurt for, for and with them that were hurting. Listen to this. Having compassion simply means to do for others what they cannot do for themselves. Having compassion simply means to do for others what they cannot do for themselves. Somebody say, however... Enabling means to do for others what they should and can do for themselves. So when Jesus showed up and he had compassion, it was people who could not do for themselves that he was moved by compassion or with compassion to help them because what they needed, they couldn't do. The blind man couldn't heal himself. The lame man couldn't heal himself. The, 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 the hunger couldn't feed themselves. And so these are people God had compassion with. The people that were scattered and, and, and did not know right from wrong, did not know how to get their life right by going to church. He had compassion on them. But the ones that knew what they should do and was able to do, he didn't have compassion on them. He didn't enable them. So how you want to look at some of your relationships that's unhealthy? Are you in a situation where you have enabled someone? Are you in a relationship where you've shown compassion towards someone? What is going on in that relationship? Is that person at a place where you just feel like you got to... You felt like you always enabled them. They come around and you're trying to make life easy for them. When in actuality, they can do for themselves what you're trying to do for them. Or, or, or is it really bona fide compassion that you're having on someone because what they're suffering from that they might talk about all the time, they don't know how to fix that. And so if there's somebody in my life that have a situation that they really truly don't know how to fix and I can fix it, I'm supposed to have compassion on them and help them get it fixed. But if it's something that they can fix, but they just choose not to because they just want to have us enable them, then that's when we kind of have to draw the line. Uh-huh. So sometimes we want to know as Christians, how do you balance that? Well, you just got it. 
Compassion and enabling people is two different things. And usually that's what you're dealing with at some point in time. You will, you are looking at someone's situation and it may be a situation where you need to have compassion and you have compassion. But if you're looking at it and it's something that you're enabling them, you need to stop and say, I'm enabling you. You can do this for yourself and you should do this for yourself and you know better, but you want me to appease you. That's not godly. That's not how Jesus operated. And you can go ahead and criticize me. Oh, why do you want to be spiritual? You can go ahead and say that. <laughs> I was just talking to Brother Tom today and I was telling him, sometimes we get so off to the left and so blind that we don't realize somebody's trying to do righteous things in order for righteousness to come your way. But you just want to keep on doing unrighteous things and I'm trying to do righteous things. And now you criticize me for doing righteously when you don't realize if I don't do righteously, you don't stand a chance. That's not, that's what we're faced with sometimes. And people don't really realize it. Like you're criticizing me. For instance, I always just hear my pastor say this. He always just say, you know, when I was hanging out with you and, and smoking and drinking with you, you never said to me, man, you need to slow down from doing all that. But as soon as I start going to church, why you go to church so much? If I don't go to church, sometimes you can't say this, but if I don't go to church and get a right relationship with God, you don't stand a chance because you're still smoking and drinking. You're still doing wrong. And the only way God can respond to you is for me to call on God for you. I got proof of that. As I told Brother Tom this evening, how do I, how can I say that? Sodom and Gomorrah was a mess and there was nobody righteous enough to call on the name of the Lord for them except for Abraham. And God listened to Abraham. If Abraham, we always say, if Abraham would have said, Lord, let there be, if there's not 15 righteous in there, please don't destroy. Abraham could have stopped Sodom and Gomorrah from being destroyed. Yeah, you know where he stopped that. But if he would have stopped that 15 and just says, Lord, 15. He stopped at five. He stopped at five and there wasn't five. He, 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 should, he should have never stopped there. And he could have spared Solomon and Gomorrah. The point is not that. The point is we need somebody to stay righteous and have that relationship with God to pray on behalf of those people that don't have the relationship. So sometimes you're going to get criticized for always going to church. Sometimes you're going to get criticized for always talking about God. But just take it in stride and realize this is a healthy part of the relationship that they don't understand yet. But they will see later that this was good for them. Because if I didn't go to church and keep my life right, if I didn't go to church, and keep a relationship with God, what would have happened to them? And they have no clue because they're so locked in on themselves. We're talking about healthy relationships. We need relational healing and we got to realize because a lot of times, you know, we're trying our best to do the right thing. And once one of the, uh, the most challenging things to us is we don't like to do things that get people upset. That's something that I've seen this week. I've had conversation with people about, but if I do this, they're going to be upset. But if I do this, they're going to be this kind of way and that kind of way. And my answer to them is that's a them issue, not a your issue. Stop getting frustrated and upset and not do the right thing because you're concerned about how somebody else is going to respond. Because once you do the right thing, how they respond is their issue. It's not yours. All you did was do the right thing. And so if they can't see it then and they criticize and get upset, it's okay. Pray for them. But don't let that stop you from doing the right thing. Because you're going to spare them, uh, uh, you're going to spare what, what God can do in their life because you just don't want them to feel bad. Listen, we know sometimes you're going to say some things that people are going to feel bad. But if it's what's best for them, then it's what's best for them. What did we see posted on that church over there the other day? I'd rather hear a hard lie than a soft truth. No, other way around. I'd rather hear a, 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 a yeah, a, 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 no. He says, I'd prefer to hear a hard truth than a soft lie. And so what happens to us sometimes is, you know, uh, we, we, we'd rather somebody tell us something that's a lie but nice. I'd rather you just be harsh to me, but let it be truth. 
And we don't like that. Somebody tell you truth, but it was harsh. You, you, I don't believe that. Why? Because it was harsh. Truth will make us free. We can't worry about people's response is the point. We have to be truthful because truth is righteousness. Truth is what's going to help them be delivered. And if we don't be truthful to them, they will stay in their situation. The difference between a wise and a foolish person. Anybody want to take a guess at the difference between a wise and a foolish person? Uh, give it to me out loud. I'll listen. Yes, ma'am. Okay. You, you can say that. That's you. Oh, that's that's close. That's close. Yes. Not bad. Not bad. Let me tell you what I have here before you. In discerning how best to handle a difficult situation, you will need to determine whether or not you are dealing with a wise or a foolish person. The book of Proverbs describes the difference between a foolish and a wise. It tells us that the foolish will hate, but the wise will love you for correction. So a foolish person, when you correct them, they got a problem with you. A wise person, when you correct them, they appreciate you. A foolish person. You tell them some correction. Don't tell me. A wise person. You tell them something. Okay. I appreciate that. I didn't think of it like that. That's what the Bible describes as wise and foolish. So we'll see how many people continue to be foolish. Because <laughs> a whole lot of us tell you, who do you think you're talking to? Don't tell me that. When it's just Good correction. And when it's good correction, we need to just thank God that we got some good correction. Jesus said in the word of God that the Lord chastened them that are his. He will correct you if you belong to him. I tell folks all the time, if you never receive correction, God might have just put you to the side. And God will correct you in many different ways. He can use... The pastor, he can use someone that's close to you. He can use whoever he wants to use. He can speak to you audibly without you seeing him and correct you. But the bottom line is when God correct us, we need to just thank him and not be getting all bent out of shape and worked up because he loves you. And that's why he's correcting you. If he didn't love you, he would just let you keep on being a fool and destroy yourself. Uh huh. Oh, did we look at it like that? <laughs> I tell you, wise people are not always the smartest or the most talented people, but they understand the importance of receiving correction. On the contrary, confrontation with a foolish person actually leads to explosion and chaos. I love to keep my mouth shut when I know I'm dealing with explosive people. I don't have nothing else to say. I already learned that, you know what, no need to say nothing. Because if you get explosive, what are we accomplishing? Okay. Because people don't hear you when they get explosive. They go blind. What they said, they, 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 they just, they, they, they black out. They see red. I blacked out on them. Okay. Just mean you a fool. That's what it means when you black out. You a fool. <laughs> With the foolish talking, with the foolish, talking does not always resolve issues. So boundaries, come on, 
have to be set in the place. Discerning the character of the individual you are working with will save you much time and headache. So when you know you're dealing with a fool, you just set boundaries. You know, let me say this. Sometimes fools know that they're fools. And they try to use that to try to control you. Yeah, they don't want me going crazy because I'll go crazy. Okay, go crazy. Because you're not controlling me. I'm just going to leave you alone. That's called boundaries. So when I know you're a fool that lose it and black out and go crazy, guess what? I just don't talk to you. That's it. <laughs> That's it. I just don't talk to you. But sometimes the fools, they do it specifically so you don't talk to them. But guess what? If they never get corrected, what happens to them? So who loses out anyway? And why am I going to lose my mind when you're losing out? They, 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 I don't want you saying nothing to So they just go crazy so you never say anything to them. Okay. So they can do whatever they want. They don't want you saying nothing. They do whatever they want. Okay. If you live a life that you do whatever you want, trust me, you're not going to heaven. You live however you want. Nobody can tell you anything. There is no way you're going to heaven. I was just talking to somebody that, um, oh, it was um, Luke's buddy. I was talking to him, and he was like, I'm not a big believer in God, and, you know, I'm just, I just don't listen to everybody, and, you know, I believe, but I just believe you can find God on your own, and he's going to college. I said, so when you go to college, who teach you? Oh, a professor. I said, oh, really? Okay. And what are you trying to accomplish? And he's telling me, I said, oh, well, you get help, don't you? Yeah. I said, were you going to be able to obtain your degree on your own? No. I said, well, same thing with God. If you keep on walking around saying you don't need people to help you with God, then guess what? You won't accomplish anything in God. He walked away saying, I never thought about it like that. I know you never. Because the word of God is so powerful, man. It will make those that think they smart look stupid. Think you real smart. Okay. Okay. I don't need nobody to tell me about God. Okay. Go get your degree in school and just study at home. You know, just keep studying at home and see if you get that master's degree in psychology. Just stay at home. Don't go to no college. Don't go to no association of anything. Just study. And when you've studied everything that the, the course requires, then go tell them you're a psychologist. <laughs> I'm just saying, we, you know, when we got our junk, that's kind of, we don't realize how stupid we sound. You're not going to become a psychologist. You're not, you're not going to be licensed. You're not going to be counseling nobody legally if you stay at home and study all the books. It won't happen. The healing of forgiveness is the ultimate ingredients to relational healing. So the healing power of forgiveness is the ultimate ingredient to relation, relational healing. So forgiveness is going to be a priority. It's going to be a must for there to be relational healing. The Bible has much to say about forgiveness. It is one of the most valuable gifts we can give to each other. Oh, I love that. Because it is a gift God first gave to us. Forgiveness is not always easy to give, but it is necessary. Jesus told his followers how important forgiveness was. If you do not forgive, neither will your father in heaven forgive your trespass. Listen. We have to deal with ourselves really truthfully about forgiveness. Because what we don't realize is we can say we forgive, but your actions say you don't forgive. And you and Jesus are going to have to work that out because he knows that. The individual might not understand, might not know, but if you say you forgive or forgave someone, but you really didn't because your action says you didn't, you and Jesus. You and Jesus. Because he knows what's in your heart. Jesus knew the extreme effects of unforgiveness and he loves us too much to see us destroyed because of unforgiveness. Thus, he placed strong emphasis on the importance of having the attitude of forgiveness. It all begins with real repentance, right? 
In what has become known as the Lord's Prayer, Jesus stated, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. If we don't learn how to forgive, uh, relational healing involves changing who we are at our core. This verse revealed that if we want to be forgiven of our misdeeds, we have to also forgive those who have hurt us. Even Paul admonished members of the church of Colossae, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. We must remember that repentance is not a one-time event. It is a process just like forgiveness. What is repentance? We talked about that. So we have to realize that we have done wrong at times and we go and we repent, but we must learn how to repent. Repentance is a turning away from our sin our disobedience to God, our rebellion against God, and turning back to God. So we can say words, but our actions, this is what I mean by we better deal with God on the thing that's in our heart. So you can say you repented, but God is looking and saying, did your behavior change? You can say you forgave, but God is looking and saying, did your behavior change? Because that's all that matters. We, if, if we really truly repent of our sins, if we really truly forgave, our action will prove that. True repentance is godly sorrow for sin, an act of turning around and going in the opposite direction. This type of repentance leads to fundamental change in one's person's relationship to God. It is important to remember that unforgiveness produces It is important to remember what unforgiveness produces. When we hold a grudge with others long enough, it can breed bitterness. Hmm. Bitterness in our heart. And that's that's what I mean by when we don't repent and we don't forgive. Bitterness builds up and you don't even realize it. So you have bitterness in your heart against the person because you really never forgave them. You, 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 you never gave them. You never said, I forgive you. And really, so bitterness, uh, builds up in you. And when that bitterness builds up in you, you don't realize it, 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 it now takes over your body and produce toxic, toxic levels of stress in your bodies. The choice to remain in contempt of a specific individual or situation blocks relational healing. The chemicals released in the brain fueling feelings of hatred and resentment can, if sustained over enough time, produce enough bodily stress to cause literal heart attack. So if you, but remember how bitterness starts. Bitterness comes from not forgiving someone. So if someone did wrong and you don't forgive them and you let that linger long enough, you get bitterness in you. And that bitterness begins to boil over and become hatred. Before you know it, it begins to cause you to become sick. And this is the sickness that doctors can't diagnose. Stress sickness usually cannot be easily diagnosed. So now you're sick and you don't know what's wrong with you while you're feeling the way you feel. And the doctors are trying to run all these tests and can't find out anything. Yeah, sometimes they say, yeah, maybe you're stressed, but they don't know how to handle that because the only thing that can get you past your stress is biblical, which is you got to go back to what happened and realize I've been holding on to something. I need to go and forgive that person. And that's what's going to heal you, not medicine. The medicine is going to do something else. But the only way you can heal from bitterness is to go to someone and forgive them. So you must figure out who you've been holding stuff against and go to them and really forgive them. That's how you're going to set yourself free. Uh Uh-huh. Forgiveness is the act of excusing or pardoning another in spite of his or her slight shortcomings or errors. We make this mistake in thinking that I can forgive you for this, but I can't forgive you for this. 
Mm, get quiet on me because we know that's a big thing about human behavior. I can't forgive somebody if they did this to me. Jesus' own people crucified him. What are you talking about? I, 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 I try sometimes to understand how we rationalize our Christianity and relationship with God when we're saying, I just can't forgive anybody for doing this. Okay. All right. Because understand that Jesus can't forgive you for doing this. And so you might feel like somebody, I don't know, killed a relative or somebody did something really bad to you and all you did was lie so Jesus will forgive you. That's how we do it in our brain. That's how it works in our brain. Well, I didn't do that bad like you did. Uh, so Jesus is going to forgive me of mine. No, we won't. Because you're not justified in holding anything against anyone, no matter how bad it is. Jesus didn't tell you forgive uh, up to this limit. You can forgive for lying. You can forgive, forgive for that. But man, if they do this to you, don't forgive them. You didn't read that. So you can't justify in your mind. Yes, Brother Henry. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. I always say abomination comes in when you try to stop the plan of God. I, I won't get into this a lot, but this is what I've learned in my walk with God. God deal with us a little bit differently when it's just a sin. But when you try to stop God's plan then you get in big trouble. Let me give you a, 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 a little scenario. This is not even deep. Jonah tried to stop God's plan to save a whole country. Oh, you're going to do what I tell you. When did God ever really force us to do anything? But he made Jonah go preach. He put Jonah in such a bind that he made sure that Joker said, all right, Lord, I'm going. Because you was messing with God's plan. The same thing with homosexuality. God says, be fruitful, multiply, and reproduce. And you decide, no, nah, we're not doing that. Because just think, if we had to live on earth for 2,000 2, more years, and, and we decide we're all going to not reproduce, the generation going to die off. You're stopping God's plan. So abomination is always about you interfering with God's plan. Because, see, sinning will destroy you. It destroys you and nothing God can do other than throw his hands up and says, you did it to yourself. When you try to stop the plan of God, which is still sin, God says, hold on. Now you're messing with me. Same thing with Apostle Paul. Traveling on the road. I'm going to persecute the Christian. And God said, Paul, why are you persecuting me? He didn't say, why are you persecuting them? Why are you persecuting me? So anything that you do to stop God's plan to God is an abomination. Everything else that you do that's wrong, that's just messing your life up. Describe a time when you or someone you know was overcome with resentment and bitterness. What had to be done? What happened in order to get things changed and turn around? That's for you to ponder. Though unforgiveness, I'm getting ready to finish up here. Though unforgiveness is toxic to our physical, mental, and spiritual health, forgiveness can produce incredible healing. Forgiveness causes us to die to ourselves and trust God fully. It brings peace to emotional storms. However, it may, it may take many times of forgiving before we really feel like we have completely done so. Listen to this. Corey Ten Boom. C-O-R-R-I-E, I guess you probably know this person, T-E-N-B-O-O-M, Corey Ten Boom, a Christian woman who survived a Nazi concentration camp during the Holocaust, said, forgiveness is to set a prisoner free. Listen to this. And to realize that prisoner was you. So when you don't forgive, you put yourself in prison.
So I don't even know the story of this person, but all I know is this person realized if I keep on being bitter or don't forgive because of this 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 mass killing that happened to her people. If she just keep on, I will never ever forgive them for that. She realized or he realized that they were keeping themselves locked up. And it wasn't until you say, you know what? I forgive you. It doesn't matter what you've done. I forgive you. That's when you let yourself out of jail. Yes, sir. So she knew what she was saying. She knew she was locked up. And it wasn't until she said, I forgive you, that she became free. So we have to realize what that's all about. What is your own testimony of forgiveness? How did it heal your relationship? James chapter chapter 5, verse 16 states, confess your faults or trespasses one to another, and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. If we do not have healthy relationships with each other, we will not feel safe enough to confess our faults to one another. So this is very, this is a conundrum here. Check this out. This has got to be a conundrum. If James is teaching us to confess our faults one to another, and it says here, And pray one for another that you may be healed. So James is saying we should always confess our faults. Not sins, because you only confess your sins to God. But the faults in your life, errors of your ways. You confess those to each other. And so if there's something wrong with you, you confess it to one another. And you pray for one another, you will be healed. However, if you don't have good relationships... You're not confessing anything that's wrong with you. You're going to stay in sickness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Read it. I don't want you to think that I'm 